Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Journey. It's uh, good to have each of you out today. My name is Randy, and uh, it's an awesome day. What, what incredible weather. I mean, we are loving it. God is so, so good in a lot of ways. We're going to talk about that uh, today a little bit. Last week, we completed a series that we were in called The End, and we talked about heaven and hell. We talked about the judgment, about second coming of Jesus, and we kind of had a wrap-up day, uh, invitation uh, uh, time, and uh, both services, we had four people who were baptized into Christ who began new lives, so we applaud that. Uh, that is always incredible, incredible thing to uh, celebrate with uh, someone about. So uh, today we're going to move on to a new series. We're beginning a series today called Living the Dream. Living the Dream. Now, people say that a lot anymore, and I'm never really sure what people mean. Sometimes I think they're a little sarcastic, uh, but other times I would hope they know that we really are living the dream. We're going to talk about what that means. Whatever mean, people mean about it, it usually has something to do with prosperity. It uh, generally has something to do with, hey, things are, are working for me. You know, it's, it's all working out. And we're going to talk a little bit for the next few weeks about how do we handle prosperity? How do we handle money? How do we deal with things? How do we think about things in life? And how do we truly live the dream? Several years ago when I was a kid, I used to hear every now and then about this reclusive figure called Howard Hughes. You guys remember Howard Hughes? Some of you do. Some of you don't have a clue about this guy, but he died in 1976, but he was just this really um, unusual character uh, and gifted in many, many ways. Howard Hughes was the first multi-billionaire back in the early 1900s, which was just uh, pretty incredible uh, wealth at that time. He always wanted more. Even though he had a lot, he always wanted more. Uh, he wanted fame, and so he became a filmmaker, uh, started a company making movies. He, wanted, he loved to fly, and so he bought an airlines, and then he made prototype planes, uh, the, the uh, Spruce Goose, I think, was one that he had. Maybe you've heard of that. Um, he, he, um, he did a lot of plane, fast plane, very fast flight. He went around the world, solo flight around the world by himself. He was in several um, uh, airplane accidents, you can imagine, one really serious, and it, it injured him so to the place that he was in the hospital for several months. And during that time, he thought about how uncomfortable a hospital bed was. So he invented the first adjustable hospital bed, the prototype for what people have today while he was lying in bed. Not only that, he was big in media. He was big in technology. Uh, he started, had several inventions. He was mining oil and, and, uh, uh, and, and minerals. You know, this guy just had so much in life. And you would look at his life on the outside and you say, man, this guy had it all together, had all the money, he was dating all the beautiful stars, beautiful women of his day, and you would think, you know what, Howard Hughes was living the dream, but not really. Because if you know a little bit more about Howard Hughes, you know his life was a shambles, personal life. He became eccentric, which is another word basically for being crazy. His wife left him alone, he was addicted to drugs, he never bathed, and his nails grew to be inches long. He was compulsive, obsessive, obsessive, compulsive. He spent years along in a dark penthouse. People wouldn't see him for years. And finally, he died at the age of 71, alone, emaciated, and uncapped. For Hughes, more was never enough. Now, a lot of us have similar problems to that in life. And you would say, well, I, I'm not anything like him. No, you just don't have enough zeros at the end of your net worth. That's how we're most not like him. But a lot of us have this, a lot of us have this idea that if I just had more, then I would be happy. If I just had a little bit more, then, then I would be fulfilled, and, and then I would truly be living the dream. 
But you know, here's what Jesus said about that. Jesus said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Be on watch for all kinds of greed. There are different kinds of greed. And you don't have to be wealthy to be greedy. You don't have to have a lot to look at things in the wrong attitude, with the wrong heart. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. I mean, really, do we ever think we will ever have enough money that we could say, no more, I don't want any more money? Can't imagine that. Do you ever think you'll get to the point where you're, you have the nicest car that you'll be satisfied with? Will you ever have a big enough house? Will you ever have enough clothes that you'll say, I'm not buying any clothes for five years? You know? Will you, will you ever have enough shoes or toys or whatever it is you want next? You've already been eyeing those things. Will we ever reach that point in life? And most of us would have to admit that no. Today we are living the dream, but we do not realize it. We don't know that we are. You know, I did some figuring here and, uh, and to kind of see where we are in perspective with the world. I've told you some of this before, but if you make $40,000, which is kind of average, maybe low average here uh, in, in our, our community, probably make more, most of us make more than that. But if you make $40,000, you are in the top 0.50% of people in the world, in the entire world. What that means is that 99.5% of the people in the world make less money than you. So you are rich in many, many ways, and yet we want more. We want more because what we have is never, ever enough. And, and to finance our way of life, there's this incredible thing called debt that many of us experience, consumer debt that gets us deeper and deeper to finance our, let's be honest, our greed. And, and, and we look around us and we say, well, I know what they make, and they have these things, so obviously it must be okay. Everybody's doing it, and we have this false sense that it's okay, it's right, it's normal, but it's not wise. And our government is not wise either. Our government is leading the way. You know, in the last 10 years, our government has spent a trillion dollars bailing out large companies like uh, Freddie Mac and Freddie Mae and big banks and AIG Insurance. Our country is in debt over $19 trillion, and that's doubled over about in the last 10 years. If you've ever done this, anybody ever Googled the national debt clock? Have you ever done that? Some of you, some of you have. Terrifying. It's worse than a horror movie. I'm telling you, if you ever Google the clock and you see how quickly money is being borrowed, it's just it's like that. I was watching it. I got so nervous I had to click off from it. It just terrified me. And you look up there, it has a place of how much money you owe, what, a part of, what part of that is yours as an American citizen. It is terrifying. Don't do it right now, but you would start screaming if you did it right now, all right? You know, but we hear all these things thrown around. We hear about a million and a billion and a trillion. You know, that doesn't mean anything to me at all, right? So I thought, you know what, what does a million dollars look like and what does a trillion dollars look like? So I think we got it on the screen. I'm going to show you what, uh, we're going to start, the first slide here is a $100 bill. And some of you have seen a $100 bill. This is a $100 bill, if you've never seen one. Uh, but, uh, but, you know, most of us have got that, okay? So that's a $100 bill. The next slide, that's $10,000 in $100 bills. That would be really, really nice. That's, that's a lot of money to most of us, $10,000, right? The next slide is of a, uh, that's a, um, a million dollars, right? That's a million bucks that's up there next, all right? So that's a lot of money in anybody's book. 
All right, the next slide is a billion dollars. All right, that's a pallet full of, uh, am I getting mixed up here? No, that's $100 million. I'm sorry, that's $100 million you got right there. That's a lot, a lot of money. The next slide is a billion dollars, all right? Because that's a billion bucks of $100 bills that are up there. So that's, that's a big difference in that in a million, right? The next slide is going to terrify. This is a trillion dollars. These are double pallets. These are too high. And over in the corner is the same little guy over there that was standing by the $100 bill earlier. That's a trillion dollars. We owe 19 of those national debt. That is what's terrifying to us. But we live in that reality where money and debt is taken so lightly, some of you will never, you'll, not, you'll hear a word I say after this because you're fixated on that, that picture. And here's the thing, if we don't, take it down, take it down, all right? If we don't continue to increase our debt, you know what happens to our, our nation, our government? If we don't continue to increase that, our government will default on its expenses and its obligations. And you say, well, we got to stop, we got to stop. Well, that means that we'd stop paying Social Security, Medicare, military, and government workers, and tax refunds. And some of us are going, okay, we can't stop, we got to do something else. What are we going to do? But that problem is universal. I mean, there are many cities that have gone bankrupt. Detroit, most notably, we hear about that. Many states are in financial problem because of debt. Many countries, Puerto Rico is very close to declaring bankruptcy. Greece has been uh, rescued three times by the European Union. I was in Greece this past summer. got a chance to go there. It's a beautiful country. At one point, there was a lot of industry going on. But you drive down the road, and literally every other business is shut down. Every other one is empty, abandoned, because the country is broken. You know, we, how do we live in a world like that where, where success is defined as borrowing more and more until you can't, and then you just, everything falls apart? What do we do? I don't know about you, but I, I start feeling a little bit guilty because I'm not the solution to the problem. In fact, I'm, I'm a part of the problem in, in a lot of ways. And we know we can't help on a world level. We can't help on a state level. We can't help on a city level. Most of us can't. But we can start where we are in our lives. Why? Because this whole idea, we start out living the dream, and then the dream turns into a nightmare. And we start, nothing affects us, or very few things affects us like conflict and finances. And so for the next few weeks, we're going to talk a little bit about this. We're going to talk about four biblical principles. These aren't things I'm making up. These are Bible principles, and then four biblical practices that will help us bring us into line with how God wants us to think about finances. Because we have a problem. We have a problem. If we're not in actual debt, some of us aren't, which is great. If you're not in debt, then it's how we think about things. And we have so much, then we discover that may be too much. Because we've already talked about how having a lot doesn't fulfill us. It just makes us want more. It just kind of, we have to have more to feed that inner dragon, and we have more and more. And most of us are not very grateful for what we do have. And so we're going to take the time to begin with and discuss the principle of gratitude, which is our first principle, but which is so biblical. In fact, the Bible says, 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Give thanks in all circumstances. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Do you know that it was God's will that you be a grateful person? 
that you live a life of gratitude. The Bible says that so clearly. Now, you know, a lot of us have a hard time being grateful when we feel like we deserve more or we feel like there are other people who have more. And, and if we just have what they had, then we would be grateful. Then we would be satisfied. Then we would be content. But it never happens that way. Here's the problem. We have too much. And when we have too much, we take too much for granted. We have too much, and when we have too much, we take too much for granted. It's like a spoiled child, that the more you give them, the more they want. They're never, ever content. And we become more greedy the more that we have. So what, how do we deal with this? How do we recognize that? How do we resolve that and hopefully find a better place in life? We're going to go to God's Word, John chapter 12. This is a story about Jesus and his disciples, and they're in a city, a place called Bethany. And there are two, going to be Jesus, but then there's two other main characters in the story. And in one of these characters, you will most find yourself. You will identify with one of these two people. It'll be pretty obvious as we go through it. And hopefully identifying yourself and seeing how ugly or how attractive it can be uh, might make a little bit of difference in changing your life. So let's pick it up, John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Mary, excuse me, Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard and expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief as keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that these should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Now, it seems like that in Bethany, this is where Mary and Martha and Lazarus lived. You probably remember hearing about them. They were siblings grown siblings, and they lived in this town, and they loved Jesus. They were close friends and followers. You Maybe you remember the story of Martha uh, when Jesus came to her house. Martha was busy serving and everything. Mary was sitting, listening to Jesus, and Martha got angry at Mary because she wasn't up helping, and, and Jesus kind of called Martha out and said, it's more important to listen than it is to, to do all these things, to serve. And uh, they oftentimes had Jesus there in their home. And obviously, they were feasting this time. And in those days, when they had a feast, men and women did not eat together. It wasn't like all the couples come and all sat down. It was a feast for the men. It was for the men. You know, when I was growing up, uh, we did this in my grandmother's home when everyone went over on Sunday afternoon. All the men ate first. And uh, then this current generation of women came along, and everything changed uh, with that. You know, so, uh, but in that day, it was a man's dinner. And the men ate alone, and women stayed out, and they, they, they stayed out of the place. That was their culture. So anyway, the, the way they ate was also strange, too. They had a very low table to the ground, and men would, let, would eat laying down, which seems kind of awkward, to be honest. They would lay on an elbow or a pillow, and then they would eat from the table, and they kind of laid at an angle to the table, so they kind of angled out. Their feet were away from the table, which was probably a good idea. They didn't wear shoes. Uh, they wore sandals, so, you know, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't all that much like how we eat today. But at any rate, during this time, in the middle of all this, suddenly Mary shows up in the room, and she takes a pint bottle of nard perfume. 
Now, nard was a, a, a herb that was grown up in the Himalaya mountains in India, and it's a long way away. So it took a lot of money to get this perfume there, and, and that was very expensive. In fact, later on, Judas observes that it was worth a year's wages. Now, going back and taking what we said, $40,000, can you imagine a jar that had the equivalence of $40,000 in it that was a perfume? Why would someone have something like that? Well, in that day, it was common to do this. It was kind of like your retirement fund. You know, you would gather this, and you put it in a jar, and you seal it up, and you knew that whenever you retired and couldn't work anymore, you could sell that off and, and fund your retirement. That was kind of a common thing. And so that's why she probably had this expensive bottle of perfume. Now, I was curious. I was thinking, is it possible today that there would be some perfume that would be worth $40,000? And so everything, you got to know, you Google it. So I asked for the world's most expensive perfume. And there actually is a perfume, not worth that, but worth a lot. What is claimed to be the world's most expensive perfume is called Clive Christian Number no. 1. Um, we buy this all the time at home. I, I didn't... Uh, I'm kidding. At any rate, it was like $3,000 a bottle, the world's most expensive perfume. So now you know what to get your wife for Christmas. You know, you can brag. And, uh, but it wasn't anywhere near what they had then. You, you know, it's amazing to think about this, the value of something like this. Here's the other thing. When they had this together, they would seal the top of it. So the only way to get it open was to break the top, break the jar. And that's when they would start selling and everything. So it would lose its potency if it was opened up and not used instantly. And so she brought it in and she just poured it out on his feet in the middle of this crowd. Now, there were so many things wrong with this. So many things wrong. And there's so many scandals going on. Number one, there was a woman in the room. This was a man's party. Women didn't come in. So it was scandalous that Mary, even though it was her home, had showed up among this group of men. It was scandalous that she was there. She then was touching a man's feet that she wasn't married to. That was a scandalous thing. Women didn't do that in that day. She was taking her hair down in public. And men, you know, women didn't do that. You put your hair up and you kept it covered in that day. And she was wiping his feet with her hair. Uh, all those things or scandals. They would be talked about on, you know, for weeks in the, in, the, in the community. But the most scandalous thing she was doing was wasting a year's salary on somebody's feet. I mean, that was just unbelievable. And nobody could ignore it. You couldn't ignore it because there was a woman in the room. Couldn't ignore it because of what she's doing. And you couldn't ignore it because of this overpowering smell. You ever been in an elevator with somebody with too much perfume? And you're just dying. I mean, just multiply that by a lot because you got a pint of this aromatic fragrance just, you know, just overwhelming, probably choking people, and they could not ignore this. And the cost of it, I mean, that would be overwhelming. Let me ask you this. If you were there, what would you think? Would you think, wow, what a, what a wonderful thing to do for somebody? Or would you think, Number one, I, I got to get out of here. I'm choking. I'm dying. Or would you think, knowing the value of this, would you say, I can't believe that she would do that? I, I'm pretty human, all right? And maybe I'm greedy. But a part of me, honestly, I would say, that's unbelievable. Wasn't there a, 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 a more, at least expensive way to show that she loved him? You know, couldn't she just put a little bit on? Couldn't she, you know, make him a cake? Couldn't she do something that would show that she loved him without this extravagant waste of money just pouring it all out there? 
You know, I, I would think that. Most of us would. Most of us probably would. I'm sure everybody in the room was thinking it, but only one guy spoke up. You know what? There's always that guy, right, in every crowd. That guy is always there who's going to say maybe what everybody else is thinking, but it seems worse when he says it. It's Judas Issachariot. Judas is one of the 12, one of the ones that Jesus had selected personally to be his disciples. But one thing we know about him, he was greedy. He was so greedy. And we see it every time his name is mentioned, the whole idea of money comes up. He's money obsessed. He could not help but blurt out in anger, not in exclaiming about it, but in complaining about it. Complaining about what had just happened here. You know, you know about Judas because he was the one who later on just a few days later, in fact, would betray Jesus for what? 30 pieces of silver. And he would lead the enemy to Jesus in the middle of the night where they would arrest him and lead us to his death. We also know from this that Judas was the one, for some odd reason, who had been entrusted carrying the money bag. Now, what does that mean? Jesus and his disciples traveled around and people would fund their ministry. They wouldn't give them money, uh, just willingly to do that. And so Judas was entrusted with that But the bad thing was that he was stealing from it, and Jesus knew it, probably hoping he would repent and and, and turn from his ways. But all these things are going on, and he is so focused on money. You know, I just got a feeling that this was not the first time that Judas had talked about money or complained about money or observed or something about money, because you know what? That guy who's always obsessed about money is always talking about money. You know who he is, don't you? At work or wherever, he's always talking about money, how much he makes, how much he spent, what he sold for, how he beat somebody out of it, all these things, obsessed with money. And you know what? If you're that guy or that gal in a general group, let me tell you this. Stop it. Nobody wants to hear that stuff because even though you may not be, it sounds like you're obsessed with money. That's all that matters. Good for you if you're successful. The world doesn't want to know about that. And it makes it sound like that's a greater priority than than anything else in life. Now, Judas said, hey, I'm just concerned about poor people. I mean, what could we have done with that? We could have fed a lot of people, but nobody believed him because everybody knew what he was about. But here's a classic example of, of somebody who had so many blessings and privilege that he took them all for granted. Here was a guy who who got to be with Jesus full time. A lot of people would love that. He got to walk with Jesus and talk with Jesus and listen and enjoy all the miracles and being free, you know, fed free and cared for. He had a free life and everything provided for him. All these privileges, and he didn't appreciate any of that. He had all he wanted, and yet more was never enough. And here he is in the middle of this moment where, where Mary is making this huge sacrifice, and he blurts out, this is stupid, don't do that. But you know what? Jesus steps in. This could have really disrupted the meal and everything, but Jesus quickly spoke up and defended her sacrifice. He said, Judas, leave her alone. She is anointing my body for burial. Actually, what he said specifically was, she was to save this for the day of my burial. In that day, they would anoint bodies with this sort of, um, with herbs and, and with perfumes against the decaying process. So Jesus is saying, she was going to save this for my body for burial. He says, also, you, you would always have, the, always have the poor with me, but you won't always have me. You see, Jesus recognized gratitude 
Just a short time before this, he had raised her brother Lazarus from the dead, and that was an incredible gift to Mary. And so Mary was just thanking Jesus for being her friend, her Savior, and the one who had brought her brother back to life. It was just a way of showing gratitude. The sacrifice was worth it because her gratitude was so great. Now let me ask you this. Which of these two people do you best identify with? Do you best identify with Judas, that guy who, who was money-obsessed, or do you identify with Mary? You know, I, I think most of us probably have a little bit of Judas in us. We really do. We think about the waste in our mind of doing this extravagant gift here. We think about that. You know, it's pretty common. It's part of our humanity. But once we experience the grace and the love and the forgiveness of, of Jesus Christ, there should be a shift from greed to gratitude. It's kind of a sign of our spiritual maturing. You know, all of us, no matter how long you've been a Christian, you know, maybe you're growing old in the faith. You've been around a long time, but there's a difference in growing old in the faith and growing up in the faith. There's a big difference in those two. A lot of people grow old. They've been a Christian all their life, you know, just old, old. But, but some people mature and really grow up in the faith. And, and, and Christian maturity doesn't have a lot to do with age. It can, you know, age seasons us, but, but, but having a few gray hair and more importantly, growing up in the faith and being spiritually mature, that's what God is calling us to do. And the more mature we become, the less greedy we are and the more generous and the more grateful that we ha are because God has been so good to us. Here's the hard part. Gratitude is not dependent upon our circumstances in life. Remember what I read uh, in 1 Thessalonians 5, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. All circumstances. A lot of people say, well, I would be more grateful to God if things were going better for me, but I'm going through some hard times right now and it's hard to be grateful when you're going through difficult times. But Paul says, be grateful in every circumstance. And we ought to be grateful to God because really, God's given us everything. Everything that we have belongs to Him, including our lives and even our bodies. You know, we are just leasing everything. There are times when I like to turn my body lease in for a new one, a younger one, and a slimmer one. You know what I mean? I like to just trade, you know, flip leases or something, but you can't do that, can you? God's kind of given us what we have, and He says, now use it. Use it for my glory. I want you to use this wisely. In fact, the Bible says what you are, you're a caretaker. Uh, one of the words the Bible uses is a steward. That's a, where we don't use a lot, but it's a caretaker. God said, this is yours for a while. You take this body, do the best you can with it. You're responsible for it. You take this family, do the best you can with it. You take this job, do the best you can with it. You take this money, these possessions, use them wisely. I'm giving them to you. Understand that they belong to me. I want them back someday. And you know what? Every one of us are going to give them to somebody else. One day, all we have will be given to our kids. Someday it's given to our debtors. Today, you know, the people we owe. It's all given away. God lets us use these things for a while. I need to be grateful for what I have. My job is, first of all, to believe that God gave them to me, be grateful, then be faithful to give a part of what God has given me back to, to Him. That's what we do weekly whenever we give. We acknowledge it comes from God, and we gratefully return a part of it back to Him, and then to be responsible to manage the rest wisely. 
Some of us think, well, you know, wow, if I'm giving to God, it doesn't matter what I do with the rest. No, God says, I want you to be wise with what you have left over. Don't get yourself in such a position that you can't move financially or you worry yourself to death. You can't, uh, you can't even breathe. Be responsible. Manage it well. And that means that I, I live within my means and I live below my income. That will help us live the dream. But I will tell you, if you're going to live the dream, you have to first of all live with an attitude of gratefulness. Gratitude for all that we have been given. But let me tell you this, really. All the stuff that we have is not necessary to find joy in life. We have this idea that I would be happier if I had more. And then we get a little more and we absorb it and we're not happy and we're looking for the next little more, right? But none of those things really are necessary for us to find joy. In fact, money doesn't buy happiness. Some of the happiest people I've ever met before have so little, but they have Jesus. Every time I go to Haiti, I make it a point, even though I'm, uh, I can't speak uh, Haitian at all, but when I go, I always want to go down to the back of the property at Northwest Haiti Mission. If you've been there, you know at the back of the property is a building of, uh, of elderly people. And they call this the Grand Moon. And the Grand Moon is just uh, it's the, the older folk who, when you get older in Haiti, in Haiti you work as hard as you can to make a living, and then whenever you get old and you can't work, uh, you're either homeless, which a lot of people are, uh, they, they don't have any retirement. Sometimes the family can take care, but in many cases, they're struggling to get survived themselves, and so you don't have anywhere to go. And so the mission has opened up this apartment building. It looks like Cracker Barrel, kind of with old rocking chairs on the front porch for the elderly people. And those folks have nothing. I'm telling you, they have nothing. They are allowed to sleep on a bed. They have some tattered clothes that they are given by the mission. And there they live out their latter years. Now, that is important to them because they would be on the street without it. And I share that with you because you all have a part of that. When you give on Sunday morning, a part of all that is given goes to our missions, and a part of that goes to Northwest Haiti Christian Mission to help those folks. So you all help build that building, and you all help provide a bed for them to sleep in, clothes from the wear, food for them to eat. But those are some of the happiest people I've ever met. They have big smiles on their face. They are joyful. They have Jesus. That's all they have, but they have Jesus in life. Now, compare them to yourselves. We have too much, and when we have too much, we take too much for granted. And we have to understand that all we have been given is entrusted to our care, and God just says, be grateful. Return a part of it. Be faithful with what you have. We have so much here, but there is a greater thing, and that is Jesus. Because if everything we had were taken away from us, we could still be joyful. We could still be grateful because we have Jesus Christ. The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And our response in 1 Corinthians 15, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Our salvation is the greatest thing that we have. And we should live a life of gratefulness, thanking God daily for Jesus, for our hope, for our redemption, our salvation through Christ, 
And not only that, but realizing that that's a gift that we can give to others that they could be grateful for as well, so that God would get all, all of the glory. And this morning, if you're here as a Christian, I want to just challenge you to think specifically about your attitude of being grateful to God for what you have financially, your possessions, your family, your job, your opportunity, your life, but more importantly, for your relationship with Him. And start living like that out of gratitude. If you are not a Christian, if you've never experienced Christ's love, His forgiveness, His grace, and mercy, then I would love to have a conversation with you. We can do that. I'll be up front. You can come and catch me. There's a connection card that we have that has a place to check on, talk to a minister. I'd love to do that. Take the time to share with you, to talk about what it looks like, what our response of gratitude is to the God who's given us so much. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come as people who find ourselves looking a lot like Judas at times, not only in our betrayal of you, but also in our selfishness and our obsession with things and money. God, I pray this morning that we would be honest, we would look in our hearts and see the areas of our life that we need to repent of and turn from and change. And Lord, as we began this study of learning how to live in a world and, and live the dream, the life that you want us to live, we know a big part of that is being grateful. So God, we are grateful for all you've done for us. And Lord, as, um, as we go out and live out this week, help us to live with that heart and attitude. And God, help that to be shown in the way that we think and live and act. And Lord, if there are those here who've never experienced your love and who are just waiting to learn what, what we really can be grateful for, I pray that they would have the courage to respond. We love you, Lord. We worship you in Christ's name. Amen.